Hi, everyone, and it's another episode of 5 by 5 a movie podcast with Sabrina Wood. And this week, we have a very special guest. I have psychotherapist Donna Ferber here, and we are going to discuss our favorite films that have to do with psychotherapists in movies. So, Donna, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hi. First of all, it's great to be here. And I think this is a really exciting and timely topic to do, given uh, what's happening with COVID and people feeling really isolated and not being able to, you know, possibly reach out and connect with other people. It's just timely and a, a good reminder to people that most therapists are online now and, extre- and it's extremely easy and available to find a therapist. And we will list um, some references, I think, at the end of this so that people will know how to do that. Um, For myself, I've been a therapist. I'm a licensed professional counselor and a licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor for 35 years in Farmington and private practice. Uh, Now working exclusively from home and adjusting like everybody else is to change. And so I'm doing teletherapy. So something I never thought I'd do, but all of us can learn something new and that's not bad. That is true. All right, so for this show, as you know, our format is you're gonna give me your five, I'm gonna give you my five favorite movies with film therapists, uh, with film therapists, with psychotherapists. And so, Donna, I'm going to start with you. And so why don't you give me your number five? And this isn't necessarily in order of best or favorite, just sort of like the way we thought we talk about them. So give me your number five film. My number five film, actually, I do have them in order of the way I thought that they were most valuable. This one I put in because I just thought it was, it was funny and it was humorous and that we all needed a good laugh. And it's from 1991, and it's What About Bob? Uh, starring Richard Dreyfuss and Bill Murray. It's kind of a classic. A lot of people have seen it. And just basically the plot is that Dr. Marvin, who's played by Richard Dreyfuss, is an extremely uptight, anxious, kind of stereotypical New York psychiatrist with a book coming out. And he's planning to go on vacation to New Hampshire, uh, where uh, Good Morning America is coming to interview him about his book. Enter Bob Wiley, who's the new patient, who is uptight, anxious, and rigid. If you see the parallel there, it's uh, not an accident. He also has a lot of phobias. And he has met Dr. Uh, Marvin once and has decided Dr. Marvin can cure him because Dr. Marvin wrote this book, Baby Steps, which Bob Wiley absolutely embraces. Unfortunately, though, um, when his attachment to Dr. Marvin is so strong that when Dr. Marvin leaves on vacation, Bob Wiley, Bill Murray's character, decides to do everything he can to find him and track him down in New Hampshire, which he does. Um, And I would, first of all, have to say, I never recommend that a client or a patient track down their therapist on vacation. That's really bad. That's really bad. Okay. (laughs) Note, note, listeners, do not track your therapist (laughs) down on vacation even if it is but, like Winnipesaki. But either, but for the point of making a funny movie, that's what they had to do. Um, and it was directed by Harold Ramos, who directed Ghostbusters. So you get sort of an idea that there's a little bit of slapstick in there. Um, so as I said, both characters are e- equally obsessive and rigid and, and they collide in what their goals are. The doctor wants Bob out of town, Bob wants in the house. And so at this point, they start looking more and more similar and, and even changing roles a little bit. It's hard to tell who is the therapist and who is, who's the uh, client at this point. But it starts to also resemble, as I watched it, a car- the cartoon characters uh, that more and more the bumbling Dr. Marvin starts to look like Elmer Fudd. 
desire and obsession to get rid of Bob Wiley. And Bob Wiley, you know, keeps popping up in a door and a window all over town saying, hey, Doc. And everyone used to hear that, what's up, Doc, sort of thing happening. I wonder if they thought about that when they did it, because once you said that to me, it became such a joke when I was watching the movie. I really was getting that Elmer Fudd, Bugs Bunny thing going on between the two of them, especially when he was tying things to them. Right, right. At the end of it, it, it really... It, it We're not gonna, no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. But taken to extreme, I'll just say that. It definitely looks like Elmer Fudd. I wonder if it's on purpose, because they named Bill Murray's character Bob Wiley which is also a reference to Wiley Coyote. <laughs> and again, Bill Murray does all of these things to track him down that are quite ingenious. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of Wiley Coyote. I have to say, years ago when I saw this movie, I did not see all that in it, but I did see it this time. Um, it's funny what you see when you think when you do a second and third watch, because I, I do have to watch these movies over uh, sometimes for the podcast. And when you said that, I, I said, you know what? I didn't see that at all. And then you, I was like, yes, it is. It's Bugs and Elmer. <laughs> it's Bugs and Elmer. But it, certainly when I watched it, you know, it was 30 years ago, I didn't see that. No. Uh, but, you know, I think he, when we watch, and some of these films are older, um, and I think as you watch them at different points in your life and you also watch them in the context of culture, uh, they're going to change in terms of meaning for you. So and what happens just sort of briefly is that Bob does end up being healed. And I think the therapeutic that, in that he becomes, um, he becomes calmer, he becomes more self-confident. Um, and the therapeutic takeaway take from this movie is the doctor didn't cure him. What ended up really curing him is what Dr. Marvin's family gave him, which was the acceptance, support, respect, and he felt valued. And once those things happened, you see Bob start to calm down. And I see the reference there to Dr. Carl Rogers, who talked about in his work, unconditional positive regard in the therapy session and, um, and in the process. So I, I think that's um, it's kind of an important thing to remember that all of us need to have acceptance and feel valued in our relationships to feel good about ourselves. And they made such a big difference to Bob. I say he had never had it looked like that kind of family feeling or gathering. And he just seemed so happy to be there where, you know, the doctor was taking all of this for granted. He wasn't really appreciating his family at all. And Bob was just, you have no idea what a great family you have. And, I thought it was Bob, great. Yeah, I did. And, and Bob really helps both of the children who are struggling with different things at different he really helps them feel good about themselves. And so there comes almost this role reversal at the end where um, you see the patient he, and you see the doctor sort of decompensate and fall apart. It was a complete role reversal at the end. I mean, that movie Absolutely. actually really made me laugh out loud. And I, I do know that these are two, whereas Dreyfus is not known as a comedian like like. Well, Murray is, he can be pretty funny. But these two guys were oil and water on this, on this, on this set. And so uh, Dreyfus absolutely admits it, and so does Murray. They said they did not like each other. They did not get along. And there was sort of uh, acting styles that really were just grating on each other. And Dreyfus said he actually just took it and used it to make that sort of angst that he had toward Bob. So a lot of it that you're seeing is actually kind of real. Um, <laughs> That's like you say, it was, I think it was directed by Frank 
Oz, but I'll double check that. But what about uh, Bob? I, and I had Harold Ramos. Harold Ramos. We need to check. Yeah. Okay. 1991. This is your number five movie, and it is right. all about family. And, and there was one other thing that I wanted to add about things being contextual as we talk about COVID. Mm -hmm. now, getting scene of this, um, Bob seems extremely phobic. He's afraid to touch doorknobs. He is afraid to go in the elevator. He's afraid to leave his apartment. And as I watched this happen in real time in 2020, I thought, those are the instructions they're giving us all when we leave our house now. Don't push elevator buttons. You know, wash your hands after you touch a doorknob. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting that uh, what germaphobe then is actually what all of us are reading that we're supposed to do now as we leave the house. I know we're all we're all a bit anxious with our daily right. lives walking around, you know, we're touching things. I just feel I feel very sympathetic towards people who already have this level of anxiety and now have to deal with COVID-19. And here goes their anxiety up another notch. Right. So all what right. looked like an abnormal response then is now a normal response. Abnormal Good. We, we will slap you around if you don't have this response right now. That's right. So we're going to slap you around. Um, okay. So that's your number five. What about Bob from 1991? And I am going to come in here with another film that is called Postcards from the Edge from same time period, about 1990, starring the incredible Meryl Streep and the wonderful Shirley MacLaine. And believe it or not, Richard Dreyfuss again. Now, I put this movie on my list even though there isn't really a big part of a psychotherapist, except for at the beginning where we see Cece Pounder, the black woman in the beginning of the film, has got Meryl in sort of a group setting. And you know, she talks to her and she tries to do a little bit with it. But the reason why I put this film on the list is because it does deal with addiction, and um, codependence, um, you see a little of like inherited inheritance going on here, like from one to the other. And the fact that you can't treat any kind of addiction or something like that unless you do. I mean, it's a personality, it's a disease. But even though if you don't get to the root of what's triggering it and what's making them do this, Am I right, Donna? You're not going to get any, you're not going to get anywhere. It wasn't until they actually had that kind of meeting of the minds and what was going on. So let me go back. Let me go back and kind of give you a little bit of the plot. It, it starts off with an actress who's got a very bad coke habit. She finally ODs and ends up in a uh, rehab. She gets out of rehab and she can't get a job back in the acting world unless she is living with a responsible adult who happens to be her overbearing mother played by Shirley MacLaine. Now, this book was written by Carrie Fisher. The movie was adopted from her book. And so Meryl is playing the part that's probably Carrie Fisher. And Shirley MacLaine is playing a part that's probably based on Debbie Reynolds. So I thought it was very interesting watching the mother-daughter dynamic and both of them not admitting that they had a problem, not really ready to face it, treat it, identify it, and then do something about it. I think clearly is, um, the daughter reaches the conclusion that she needs to stay clean uh, long before the mother. The mother admits that she drinks too much wine, but really never does anything about it. And so the two of them are really just blaming each other for their addiction. But there's, a, there's another piece. There's a, a piece of competition between the mother and daughter. Uh, that, Absolutely. One point, the daughter says to the mother, uh, a guy comes to the house to take the daughter on the date, and the mother is flirting with 
the, uh, the young man and um, and she says, mom, can I ever have anything that's just mine? I, I know, was the Duchess kill you when she said that? She, she was just so done with her mother. Like the guy is in the doorway for five minutes and you're flirting with him and she's just so disgusted. I said, you, there was a lot there. And then that, you know, that pressure that the mother put on her to, to sing and to dance. And I could just, I could just see this happening, you know, Carrie Fisher living this life where, you know, I, I'm never going to be Debbie Reynolds. I, I got to be Carrie Fisher. I've got to do something else, you know, and, and it was just really, it was really something to watch this whole thing. And then finally, finally towards the end, they get to the point where they can talk about it and figure out what's going on and why are they doing this to each other. So I, I thought that was really important to see, you know, you have to get to that step before any kind of real therapy happens. Like you, you mentioned it, it, the scene. I thought that Richard Dreyfus. Not to spoil, but I thought his part was just a little like, hmm, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's the doctor that actually pumped her stomach out in the, in the beginning of the movie when she ODs. And, um, you know, I thought it was really a good point where she was saying, you know, she wasn't ready for something. She knew she wasn't ready. She, she had identified what the problem was or the trigger to her drinking and addiction. And they were going to work on it, the mother and daughter. But she knew there was a long way to go before she was okay. Yeah, and you see, you see her recovery later on in the movie as she starts to say no to um, unhealthy relationships. The Richard character asks her out. She says, I'm not ready yet, as opposed to just kind of going out one guy after another. But she really understands she has to work on herself. But Richard Dreyfuss has a good line um, in the, I think it's Richard Dreyfuss's line. There's a good line in the movie. Um, basically says that, uh, that um, drugs aren't your problem. Your, they're your solution, and they've been a bad solution, and you need to find another another solution. Right, right. That's, that you know, was that like, self-medicating piece of dealing with pain um, that you have to find another way, which is why often when people come into treatment, well, the standard of care is that first you have to get them clean and sober before you can get underneath and take a look at what's really going on, using it to self-medicate and numb feelings. And I was glad that the movie, you know, I think because this wasn't a Hollywood script, that this was a lived script, that you didn't have that little, you know, happy ending, like, oh, she's going to find the guy and go off and off into the sunset and everything's going to be fine. You know, she was just like, you know, I got to do some stuff first. <laughs> okay, I'm spoiling the end here. But no, I'm not because there's a big finale. I love this movie because it shows Meryl Streep singing and she is one of these people that can do everything. I mean, I have seen a couple of films where Meryl just belts a song out, and this is one of the ones that you have to watch. It is incredible. In fact, the song that she sings, I'm checking out, was nominated for an Academy Award, and she does an absolute fantastic job of singing that song and another song at the end of the movie, um, and in the middle of the movie. So if you love uh, Shirley MacLaine, if you love to see Meryl sing, Check this one out, Postcards from the Edge from 1990. Okay, so those are our number five movies. So we're going to move on now. Number four, and what do you have for us, Donna? Number four I have is Perks of a Wallflower. And I have to thank you for that movie because I had not watched Perks of a Wallflower before. I'll just give a short encapsulated um, a plot synopsis here. That there, It takes place in high school. There are six high school friends, five of them are seniors. Um, and they befriend um, a freshman boy who is, was a little um, shy, a little bookish, a little quiet. We don't really know his whole story. But as the movie goes on, 
it's really a very engaging coming of age story because they're dealing with things like their SAT scores and where they're going to go to college and whether they'll see each other again. But we find that there are other levels to this. They're dealing with more serious problems on um, that, that don't come out to the end of the movie. This movie has a very small piece of a psychotherapist in it, and it's um, John Cusick at the end of the movie. And I like the way it was handled because she had to, she, the way she dealt with the parents and having to um, talk to them about what was going on with their son. And I also like the parents' response to it. The important things about this movie are, um, no matter how well you think you know your children, you may not know them as well as you do. Mm, I thought that was it's, really well done in this movie. It's an important piece. I'm glad we have it on the list because this is one of those films where these kids are going through a lot of stuff and their parents have basically no idea. No idea. And, and because kids, I think all of us um, have secrets and often they're secrets that we're, we're taking, we feel ashamed of and that they are not things that we did, but maybe were things that were done to us mm-hmm. and we've been told not to tell. And so as we carry those things, um, we just have layers and layers and layers of guilt and shame on top. And it's the speaking of your truth. And I think for all of us, that's the truth is to find a therapist that you can trust and really speak your truth to, because that's the most important part of healing, um, because what we resist persists. That's a big point. Find a therapist you can trust. Now, this movie was made in 2012, and it stars Logan Learman, and it also stars Emma Watson, um, who she, she has made some really great you know, picks for her movies. She did this movie right after, um, you know, the whole Harry Potter series and everybody was waiting to see what these kids were going to pick. And she's in the middle of school when she made this movie. So she's playing a high school student, but she's actually a college student when she made this movie. And she took a semester off to make Perks of Being Wallflower. And then she made one other movie that's during her time at Brown. And Logan Learman, if you watch this film, you will find out that he is now the big star, eight years later, of Hunters. So the big uh, uh, Nazi hunting, crazy revisiting revisiting movie uh, series with Al Pacino that was uh, making a big play this fall, that is Logan Learman. He is our little wallflower in this movie. So he's all grown up now. I love this movie because, like you, like you said, it really was involved. I mean, this is one of those movies where I just I got so lost in the story and felt so badly for these kids and was waiting to see how they were going to deal with all of these issues that they had. And without doing this, any spoilers, you know, how everything was going to be resolved. And um, they were very mature in the way they handled a lot of things without their parents coming to help them. That was interesting. I think, um, you know, when I was looking at a therapeutic takeaway from this movie, I found so many, so many things in the script. The script is so rich with dialogue that the kids said themselves were important. And I wrote two of them down that I thought I would share um, because I thought they were valuable um, and very profound. And one of the quotes is, and this is from one of the kids, we accept the love we think we deserve, which is a very profound thing for a high schooler to say. And the other one was, so I guess we know who we are for a lot of reasons, and maybe we'll never know most of them. And even if we don't have the power to choose where we come from, we still have the power to choose where we go. We can still do things, and we can try to feel good about them. Oh, 
And I thought, you know, and if you look it up, there's, you know, under movie trivia, there's a bunch of quotes from this movie that are just so profound. And um, it's a movie that I think it would be a good, a good movie for parents of teenagers, you know, to watch together. Um, and it yes. makes a about secrets and about choices that kids make. And I think that, that sometimes movies are a really good way to get people to talk about what's really going on with them, especially kids. And like Postcards from the Edge, this is another movie that has a script that was not, you know, commissioned by a Hollywood studio. It's another lived-in script coming from a mm-hmm. book that someone had actually gone through some of these things. Now, it wasn't autobiographical. The author uh, did say that it was based on a lot of uh, people that he had known in his life, but it was definitely something that was coming from his heart, and it wasn't something that, you know, oh, it was write a script about kids in high school. Um, so I think I see a lot of authenticity in this film and in the, the language, which is definitely from the original book, Perks of Being a Wallflower. So from 2012, starring Logan Learman and uh, Emma Watson in the middle of her brown uh, college education, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And, and, and check this movie out because it has such a great ending that, you know, you're going to feel so great at the end of this. I'm not going to spoil it, but you, you're just like... Yay! <laughs> I love this movie. So, my number four is Spellbound from 1945. And it stars Ingrid Bergman at her height of her beauty, Gregory Peck, and is directed by Alfred Hitchcock. So, once you have a Hitchcock story, you know there's going to be a murder. So we have a therapist and we have a female therapist of all things in this movie. And it's a, it's a crazy movie because it, it's like a stereotypical kind of depiction of an old German therapist. And, you know, he's got the accent and you might as well have a Sigmund Freud statue sitting in the back of his office, but he's, he's her mentor. And the plot is basically that Ingrid Bergman is at this, uh, you know, green manners and she's just therapist at this place. And, uh, they have the new head of the of the, uh, the facility coming in, and it's it's the very young Gregory Peck, and everybody's a little like, hmm, he's very young for this 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 position, and then come to realize that Gregory is not the real person. He is this man who has completely lost his memory. He has no clue who he is, and the only clue he has is that he was supposed to meet somebody at this place. So hilarity ensues after <laughs> after they realize Ingrid figures out that this is not the real doctor and now we have to figure out who he is and who, why he lost his memory and what is going on. And so we have uh, a, a depiction of therapist that is very interesting and I don't think quite uh, accurate at all. Don, I'm going to let you have it in a minute. But the other reason why I picked, she, she's, she's chomping at the bit to tell me about this movie, but the other reason why I picked this movie, other than the fact that I love Alfred Hitchcock, uh, is that it has a very, very cool depiction of dream analysis with a background done by Salvador Dali. Now, I'm an art history major by education, and I absolutely love the sequences that Dali painted and directed for this film. And I don't know how accurate it is about dream analysis, but I, I got into it and I loved the score and it was crazy. It actually won an Oscar for best score. 
Um, and the instrument that is being used for this score is something that will be developed into the Moog synthesizer. So this is one of the first times you're hearing this kind of electronic music in a film. So check it out, if just for that. So Donna, okay, let me have it. Tell me about what you think about our therapist, Ingrid Bergman. Well, I think that one of the best lines that you never say in therapy is, oh, my darling, we can't do that now. I am your doctor and I have to heal you. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> Whoopsie, right? So, you know, the, the whole idea that, you know, she's, she's in this, um, you know, she works in this institution. She's a psychoanalysis. She's highly esteemed. And this is the 40s. She's the only woman there. Um, and then she gets taken in by this character, no matter how gorgeous and mysterious he is, leaves the institution, runs off with him to try to solve this. Um, seems to me not to make a lot of sense. However, her male colleagues are talking about it. And, and the most sexist line in the movie that I found. Oh, boy. It's like I was, you know, chomped on the popcorn and choked. Was, um, when a woman is in love, her intellect is at the lowest. And so, <laughs> so those those two lines for me, you know, put me in kind of a, a cynical mood. I know, I know. It was it's too as some of the lines are, they don't they didn't age well, but I did love this. The plot is crazy. You have to try to stay with it because there is a left turn in the plot as well. So, you know, on top of the fact that you have all this psychoanalysis going on and this memory love, but then you do have, you know, we go back to childhood traumas in this one so there is some there is a little bit of psychoanalysis going on donna come on yeah no i mean at the end i would agree you know that again we have a childhood trauma that has been unresolved and that once it's confronted you know you can begin to facilitate healing the takeaway and solve I, the mystery solve the murder i, I solve the murder right um culturally what i found about watching a movie from the 40s which was so interesting was the scene in grand central station uh, where there's tons of people and it's rush hour and people are moving around. And what I was taken by was they looked like they were moving on some sort of slow motion speed. How, how much our culture has sped up since 1940s. And I thought that that was really interesting to look at the difference of what rushing mm. in Grand Central Station looked like then and what rushing to work looks like now. So. Really? We are certainly world. ramped up, you know, our anxiety levels and how fast we move. And I, and I thought that was just interesting culturally to see how, how much faster our world is. Yeah. And that rushing just creates so much pressure, you know, that, you know, things have to be done in 15 minutes and five minutes and no such thing back in the day. You, you know, lunch was an hour, people half an hour, they're racing along. So, yeah, I, I will watch that scene again because I, you mentioned that and I say, you know, what, I got to check it again, check it out because there were so many scenes in Grand Central Station and I have been there quite a few times. I'll have to watch it again. All right. So there we have our number four movies, Perks of Being a Wallflower and Spellbound. And now we're going to go to our number three film, Donna. What's your number three? Well, my number three, I have to thank my friend Lori for because I, she's in my book group. So I'm going to do a shout out to Lori because I would have never heard of this movie otherwise. It's called Carrie Hill. And uh, just to give you a brief synopsis of the plot, Carrie is a young woman. Uh, she's 18. She is from England uh, where she was raised until her mother passed away when she was 12. But she was always very precocious, very bright. It skipped a couple of grades. So upon the death of her mother, her father, played by the great Gabriel Byrne, thinks he does a great job and he sends her to America for her schooling. So fast forward, she's now 18 and a Harvard graduate. 
She lives alone in New York City. She has no friends. She has no jobs. She has no hobbies. And so she is connected, though, to a therapist. And I really enjoyed the therapy part of this. Um, and it was, a, it was an interesting choice for the therapist. Nathan Lane plays the therapist. And he really plays it very well. He's a very reserved. There's nothing slapstick about it. I mean, I always think of him in the birdcage or something really outrageous and funny. Um, but he's a friend of her father's. And so that's how she connects with him. And he gives her just a list of things to do to help break out of this malaise that she's in just sitting in her apartment. And they're simple things like um, go out to eat, buy a goldfish, um, have a date, make a friend. And so at first she kind of resists going on, you know, through the list, but then eventually she starts to do that. Again, this is another uh, very gentle coming of age movie with an unresolved issue that um, Carrie is not looking at. And then eventually she's able to go back and look at. One of the things I really liked about this movie is she has a good relationship with Nathan Lane, but quite by accident, she finds out something about him. And, and she's very judgmental and rigid in her thinking. And then she finds out something about him where he's a flawed human being. He's not. Uh, and she finds this out quite by accident. And she takes him into the therapy room and she confronts him with it. And I thought it was a really interesting moment where instead of this hierarchy of the therapist knows everything, um, that he owns up to it. And he does, he does it in a way that's therapeutically proper because he understands that at this moment, she says to him, I think it'll help me to understand this. And he does it, he does self-disclosure in a way that's therapeutically appropriate, um, not sharing details of what happened. Right. The parts that he thinks would be important for her to know. And it, it does indeed help her open up and look at, look at people a little bit differently. Look at, they can still have value and she can admire them and, and she can have relationships with them and she doesn't have to, they don't have to be perfect. Right, she's tough on everybody. She is just tough on her dad. She's tough on, you know, the people that come into her life, the person she was trying to date, you know, so uh, even her friend, even people in her office, she's just really has, you know, uh, she's got a bar that a lot of people can't jump over. No, nobody can until she she has this reckoning with um, Lane, and I thought that was a and and she opens up to that. Um, the therapeutic takeaway in this is that you have to be open to trying new experiences. Very often, therapists will suggest to try new things. You know, and what about Bob? He was a, he was a little bit too enthusiastic about trying new things in the Baby Steps book, um, <clears throat> but you do have to be open to the idea of trying something that maybe. Um, you've never done before because it's you only learn through doing. You don't really learn just through thinking about it. Hey, that was the big thing. She was thinking about a lot of things in that apartment, but it was a, she had to get out of there and try makeup and try this and you know try going out. It, it was a beautiful little film. Um, and, and I just when she did that and uh, between doing the things that she needed to do behaviorally and the thing that happened with Nathan Lane and his self disclosure. You can see then she can open up and look at the imperfections in her own life and in her father and in an experience she had in her life. And at the end, she can resolve all of those issues. Yeah. Suddenly she has a path forward and tools to do that. She had, so I, I love this movie. It's a, like I said, it's a small film and it is directed by Susan Johnson. And it's got, it's got a almost complete female crew. 
behind the making of this film. And it is just so lyrical and sweet and the dialogue is great. It feels very real. Um, Haley Stansfield was supposed to play the part. She was, you know, the one from True Grit, you know, and um, she's now in the Jane Austen TV series, but she uh, couldn't do it for, uh, she had some um, scheduling problems. And so this new star, Belle Powley, took over. She is now making big splashes in a film called The King of Staten Island. She was also in a film called White Boy Rick, which also made a splash. But this, I, I um, really loved her in. She was very sweet and beautiful and, and engaging, open. And I absolutely loved this film. And the last scene of the film, no spoiler, but the last scene was just worth, a, you know, a whole bag of Twizzlers, man. I mean, when she <laughs> did that last thing, I was like, yes, 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 yes. So thank you very much because I did not see, I did not know this movie until we decided to do this show. And so I had to pick this one up. It, it is quickly became one of my favorite films. I am recommending it to all kinds of people. People listening to this, I am recommending that you see Carrie Pilby. Please do this. Directed by Susan Johnson and starring Belle Powley, Nathan Lane, Gabriel Byrne, and Jason Ritter. So from 19, I'm sorry, from 2016. Uh, one other thing, Susan Johnson is the same woman that directed To All the Boys I've Loved Before. So if you love that movie, give this movie a try. And I just want to say it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, yes. <laughs> so check it out. It is Easy a great, great little film. You will love it. So now I'm going to my number three, also about a very young person, but it has a much different tone. The movie I picked for number three is Antoine Fisher from 2002, directed by and starring Denzel Washington and discovering a young Derek Lucas. Um, this film is another film that comes from a book that was a lived-in experience. Definitely not a commissioned screenplay. This was written by Antoine Fisher himself. Um, and he, I don't think he did the screenplay, but he definitely wrote this book and brought it to the screen with Denzel. So it is a story of a young boy, a young black boy who has just a horrific childhood. He is uh, abandoned by his parents, his father, dies early, his mother is in prison. He was actually born in prison and put in foster care. He comes up through a, a, a myriad of, of horrible foster care people and then finally lands in the Navy where he has anger issues. And in that strict discipline and disciplinary environment, he is not doing well. He's breaking into fights and all kinds of things are going on. But this is one time when, one of the reasons why I picked this film the system, which we a lot of times say, you know, the mental health system can't do this, it doesn't do that. The Navy did catch this and they did something to send him to the right place. And there is more that happens, of course, in the course of the film, like it, did they give him enough? And, you know, you know, things had to be done outside of the, of the realm of the, you know, the orders, you know, and Donna, you can give us a little more on that. But I like the fact that they didn't just kick him out of the Navy at the first fight. He was given a chance. He was sent to be evaluated. They were like, you know, hey, what is wrong with you? Let's see if we can help you before anything else happens. So I really appreciated that part of the film. So Donna, you, there was a, the thing that really got us was that, you know, three visits. The three sessions. Um, they gave Denzel Washington three sessions. And um, 
that's really called a solution-focused short-term kind of um, therapy. When somebody comes in with a specific problem, should they take job A or job B? And uh, that's something you can handle in three sessions. When you have anger problems and impulse control and difficulty regulating your feelings, it's going to take at least three sessions for the person to begin to talk um, and to trust because he has been, before he was in this system, he was in the foster care system. And it took him at least three sessions before he even begun, you know, mostly he was just silent until he began to gradually trust Denzel Washington. And then of course, Denzel Washington is, is part of the system and has to say, well, that's it. I only have three sessions with you. And, um, and this young man, Antoine Fisher, confronts him and says, how can you do that? I trusted you when I opened up to you. And now you're walking away. And I think it's important in all of these movies, we see that the therapists are not on, on pedestals. And on a continuum, some, some of them break horrific boundaries. But some of them are just, you know, are portrayed as real therapists, so but not threatened by them. They've had their own problems in life. And Denzel has certainly some issues he's going through in his marriage. Um, and he takes an interest in this boy. And so together, this boy, this young man, I should say, um, they do some really powerful work. And um, the, the only thing in this movie that I didn't feel good about is he was encouraged to find his parents, um, his mother anyway, um, because he would have to find his family to heal. And they kept saying, you have to find your family to heal. You have to find your family to heal. The reality is there are many kids who are either adopted or in foster care systems or are adopted from other countries. But finding parents is not a plausible, it's not a plausible outcome. And so the, the message that they gave is you have to do that in order to heal. Um, and certainly it's, um, there are many kids who are adopted or in foster care systems that work through that loss and that grief without having to find the reconciliation of their family. And there are therapists that specialize in doing that. Um, and I think that's really important to look at so that anybody watching this movie who feels, oh, you know, I, I had a similar background, but I, I can't find my parents because they're in another country, so I might as well not go to therapy. Right. Better. That was not, that wasn't a great message. So I just want to leave the message. That, yes, there's always something you can do to feel better. There's always some way that you can make peace with unresolved grief or the pieces that are unknown. And it's never too late to do that. Okay, good point. Because that was, you know, like I said, because this is a, a true story based on a, a true story and written by the person that went through this. Um, obviously, this is what happened to him. The therapist was telling him he had to find his family. And, and amazingly, he did find, well, let's not spoil, but um, it, was, it was a different little twist at the end of who he found. So <laughs> it was very interesting. So, but heartwarming story. I love the idea. The thing that I really loved about this is that we were talking about the three session, but Denzel as the therapist was really cool about it because he didn't start the clock on the three session until his patients started to talk. So they went through maybe, I don't know, seven or eight or nine hours that he didn't mark down as a evaluation hour until he got that boy talking, until he was ready to talk. So I, I, I really like the idea of the, we talked about this getting ready for this session, for this for our session, Donna, <laughs> for, our, for our episode, that there's nothing you can do until the person is ready to do the work. And Denzel was pretty much, you know, I'm not even gonna start the clock on the three sessions, which is all I can give you 
until you were ready to talk to me. So I really liked that part of the movie. And then, as you said, the whole thing about you got to find your family, that was a little tough. And I was kind of like, yeah, what if you can't? But um, I, I like what you're saying, that there are other ways. How did you put it? There are other ways to deal with unresolved. Right. There are other ways to reconcile loss without having, okay. you know, not, there's not just one road to that. There's not just one road. You know? Yes. Because, and, and I, I like the idea of, um, because you don't see very many African-American psychotherapists mm -hmm. in the film, and I really like that. I yes. Hey, Denzel. Yeah, hey. I thought he did a great job. I thought he did a great job. He was the director of this, and so, you know, you know what, speaking of it, I just love the last scene, not a spoiler, they, they, Denzel is walking out of the uh, hospital area and everybody is snapping to and saluting him and he's saluting back. I just love that scene. <laughs> just, just, I just love it. Anyway, okay, so those are our number three. Carrie Philby from 2016 and Antoine Fisher from 2002. Well, we're going to go with our number two films now. We're coming up towards the end, so why don't you give us, since you're doing yours in order of importance, give me your number two film. My number two film was Hope Springs, and it's interesting that as I look at the order of these, I did them, um, I think they become more serious. Yes. But I also, with Hope Springs, uh, it is a movie that I probably most recommend to people to watch. Um, and this is a movie about um, a couple. So let me tell you a little bit about Hope Springs. It's from 2012. Meryl Streep, the terrific Meryl Streep, plays Kay. And she is married to Albert, who is Tommy Lee Jones. And they don't have a bad marriage, but they have a 31-year lackluster marriage. She makes him the same thing for breakfast every morning. He reads the paper. He takes his briefcase. He goes to work. They sleep in separate rooms because he snores. They have a life that's almost like roommates. They're cordial to each other. He watches golf, falls asleep in front of the TV. She wants more. So she starts doing some research, and she finds a week marriage counseling retreat up in Maine. And uh, she goes ahead and books it. And when he comes home and she tells him that she has done this, he says to her, well, where did you get the money? And she says, I cashed in a $4,000 CD of mine. Here's your plane ticket. I have mine and I will be on the plane tomorrow morning, whether you're there or not. And uh, in the morning, he watches her through the blinds as she uh, takes her suitcase out to the car and gets in the cab. And she gets on the plane by herself. And at the last minute, Tommy Lee Jones shows up. They get to Maine and... Again, the interesting, the interesting um, casting of these therapists, because we, we just talked about Nathan Lane. This one is Steve Carell as a therapist. And if you get past the idea of Steve Carell in the office, he's actually brilliant in this. It is not an easy being a couples therapist. And he plays Dr. Feld. And he plays this with just the right amount of um, compassion and a, a little bit sometimes of, of sarcasm. And he knows when to step back. And he knows when to step in. Um, this is really an adult movie. And I don't mean that in a triple X sort of way. <laughs> this is a movie for adults. Um, because it's, um, the, um, the dialogue is, is fairly sophisticated and, and pretty sparse in places. But the body language in the therapy sessions is just wonderful to watch these two veteran great actors embody these uncomfortable people who married to each other who cannot talk about sex and she just touches the top button of her shirt or he just crosses his leg away from her and if you watch it's just so 
It's so beautifully crafted. It's a beautiful movie to watch. Um, I, I said I chose it as a favorite because I give it sometimes suggested to clients who feel that, you know, their partner doesn't want to come to couples therapy. And this is a movie, not unlike Perks of a Wallflower, that can begin a conversation. Sometimes it's easier to watch something on the screen and then have a conversation about it as opposed to just starting it between the two of you. Um, it had a fabulous, I thought, a fabulous uh, a soundtrack, although it had been criticized for that. But I don't know how Al Green, Annie Lennox, and Van Morrison can ever be considered cheesy and mild. I, I don't know either because I read some reviews of this movie and people were saying it was a weird soundtrack. And I said, well, this is the soundtrack of their lives. This would, yeah. be, this would be the music that would turn him on, that she would think would turn him on. And I, I love the soundtrack. I, I thought it was great. And Al Green is timeless. I mean, Hello. I'm just saying Al Green a couple of years ago. So, you know, how can you have a problem with Al Green? I don't know, but people seem to. They seem to have a problem with the soundtrack, but I would suggest that um, it, it's, a, it's a great movie. I think the therapeutic takeaway in this is that um, therapy can sometimes really be very painful and it takes commitment and courage to change. Um, but the, the best line in this comes from um, the doctor himself, Steve Carell's therapist, who basically says to the husband, finally, ultimately you have to ask yourself this, is this person worth more to me than my pride? Wow. And so th there it is. Um, and I just love this movie because I think it had great acting. I thought it was a great portrayal of what happens in couples therapy. Um, and that it doesn't become perfect and it doesn't turn into a happily ever after thing. And it does take work. Um, and I love the soundtrack. <laughs> I love the soundtrack too. And I am with you on Steve Carell. This was one of the first movies that I saw him in where he was totally not being a comedian at all. I mean, I think this is after the 40 year old virgin. And um, I'm not sure if it's, I think, I think he's finished the office when he's done this too, but he is phenomenal in this movie. He is absolutely really good. And he has some scenes that are definitely humorous, but he's not going for jokes in this. He's dead serious when he's talking to these people. And you cannot go wrong with Meryl Streep, like you say, and, and um, um, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones, sorry. The fugitive himself. I don't <laughs> care. Like, wow, he didn't care in this one either. But you are right. I thought that this must have been a film that they rehearsed those scenes where they were doing that body language because it was just so like a dance between the two of them. And it was it was sad to watch. You know, you, you could see her trying and you could see him pulling away and he just was having... And you knew he didn't want to hurt her, but like you said, it was a thing of pride. I don't know what it was. He just couldn't get through it, but they finally, you know, they, they needed this. I can see why you would recommend this. I think it's a very gentle film to show people. It's not a beat them over the head. Um, but, you know, I think people that have this kind of relationship where no, he's not beating, no, he's not drinking, no, he's not taking all your money, but you're miserable. This is a great film to kind of watch and see like, oh my God, I'm not the only one that has this kind of problem. Like people think, well, what are you complaining about? You're living this, what do you call it? The suburban dream life? You've got it all. But Except she was incredibly lonely. Oh my God, she was so, she was so unhappy. So again, the great Meryl Streep and Tommy Lee Jones, who I think is also a person who is a fantastic actor that doesn't get these kind of um, evocative parts to play. You know, he's always running around with a gun or he's trying to put <laughs> an asteroid. But Tommy Lee Jones, can he can make you cry. 
he could make it yeah. happen. Okay, so there we have it. Hope Springs in 2012, directed by David Frankel and starring Meryl Streep, who we've got on this list mm, twice, and Tommy Lee Jones. And my number two is one of my personal favorite movies of the, you know, of a, in a long time. I can, I watch this movie anytime it's on television in any place where it is, is playing, I, I will stop and watch this film. And it's called Silver Linings Playbook from 2012, starring uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper. And, you know, that's all you have to say to me, because that's my little Brad Bird. Oh my God, I love him. And anybody that watches Hallmark movies, they know where I got that Brad Bird name from. It's just between me and my Hallmark fans. But it's directed by David O. Russell. This is an Oscar-winning performance for Jennifer Lawrence. And it is the story that I picked because, again, we have um, undiagnosed bipolar, which is something that you hear a lot about now, bipolarism. I mean, this is something that I didn't hear about when I was a kid, but you hear a lot about it now. And this is apparently somebody that had not been diagnosed, goes through a trauma, everything flares up. And so he is coming out of um, treatment in the beginning of this film. And he's coming home after being in the institution for some time and he's trying to get his life back. But this is a movie where you're really going through and seeing like what chemical imbalance and medications, uh, how important it is, as well as what we've been talking about all through with these films, realizing what the triggers are, getting to the meat of the matter and having you know unconditional love all around you. He finally meets up with a woman who also has had a traumatic experience and I don't think you don't hear about her therapy, if any, but she's gone through some really horrific things and she too is being treated with chemicals, drugs, pharmaceuticals, and they are just uh, getting into something to, to give them some sort of structure. So they go into a dance contest. And so we have them going into this dance contest, but then surrounded by these people who still have these dependencies and gambling addictions and all this stuff is going on around him and he's trying to navigate his way through this crazy family of his but it is a fantastic film i love the writing i love i love some of the scenes in it i mean especially when he's having some of his episodes and they're telling him that he's and you're gonna i'm gonna go to you on this one you know he's got to get a strategy i mean okay tell me something i don't know <laughs> you know, he had these triggers that he had to identify and learn to live with, and he was always going to have to live with them, I guess. Um, and so Jennifer Lawrence at one point tells him, it's just a song. It's just a song. And I was wondering, you know, if they were going to dance to that song, but they didn't because he had, he heard enough of that song. But um, I'd like to get your take on the therapist in this one is played by a famous Indian actor whose name, I'm sorry, my audience, I, I am blanking on at the moment, but he's in a few films. And he plays the therapist and he gives him this, this uh, you know, advice that he's got to come up with a therapy for what he's going to do when he feels the trigger coming on. So what do you think about that, doctor? <laughs> well, I think there were a couple. I mean, first of all, as a movie, I love the movie. I love the pacing. This movie moves along like a dance contest itself. It's upbeat. It's quick. It's funny. Um, there isn't a scene you look away or go get a soda. You know, you're just really- um, Yeah, you can't miss anything, right? You're really involved in the film. Um, as a film about psychotherapy and healing from mental illness, I thought it left a lot to be desired. Uh, so he's out of the hospital and, and at first he's actually non-compliant with the drugs. 
um, that he's uh, that are supposed to help uh, stabilize his mood. And he's released to his family. And not unlike postcards to the edge, when, um, uh, when the Meryl Streep character goes home to, um, to her mother, it, it's not a healthy environment because the father has a lot of the same issues in terms of impulse control, anger management, along with the gambling and OCD, uh, so a compulsive disorder, and the mother is incredibly enabling about that. So it's a very volatile home he goes back to with a lot of problems. In terms of the therapist, the first time he goes to see the therapist after he's out of the hospital, and now there's a song, as you had mentioned, that triggers him uh, to go off because it was the song they danced to at their wedding. And, um, and, and he comes into the office, into the waiting room, and that music is playing. And he loses it. And he goes into the therapist and he says, did you do that on purpose? And the therapist says, yeah, I wanted to test and see if it was still a trigger for you. That would not happen in the real world. <laughs> That's what therapists do. And then the therapist said to him, well, you're going to have to develop some strategies to deal with your anger. And that's it. There's no help with strategies. There's no talking about strategies. There's no implementation of tools. The next time we see the therapist, the therapist is at a football game and his face is all painted up. And, um, and he sees his, his doctor there and he says, oh, Dr. Patel, you know, it's great to see you. And he says, here, I'm not your doctor. I'm just another football fan. And <laughs> partying and drinking you, together. You <laughs> you know, and then, and then the third scene of it is, you know, somehow there's, well, there's another fight and um, they're back at the house. All he's, he's in the house now, right? He's, he's breaking the, the boundaries. He's right. crashing the boundaries. He's, he's in the house while they're negotiating this gambling deal. Um, well, his patient is, you know, has been picked up by the police. And so he's, he's sort of part of like, he's more part of the problem than the solution in this case. Um, the dance contest gives them both discipline it does give them focus. Very often when people um, are, are released from treatment, it is important that they do that, that they have something that they can really hyper-focus on that helps distract them and get them outside of their head, get them a sense of accomplishment and purpose, not unlike, uh, not unlike Bob at the beginning of What About Bob, feeling valued and accomplished and feeling like you're, um, that you're worth something. Right. So the, the dance contest was the therapist in this, as far as I say. Yeah, and I and, and you know the pressure that they would put under once the the, the gambling thing is called a parlay, and I had I had to learn this. I I, I <laughs> was a big gambler for a while, and you know I had to learn about the parlay, and the, to put them under that pressure, the doctor didn't speak up and say, you know, no, this is not going to happen. Even the mother was saying, no, 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 can't do this parlay, but it goes on anyway. And and we never see Robert De Niro, who plays the father, who mirrors pretty much the same things that his son played by Bradley Cooper has, we never see any attempt at him getting any help no. or, or, or anything. He just, you know, he's just going to be like that. He's just, you know, like you said earlier, it's never too late. Right. It was never addressed to, to the father. And the message about gambling in this movie, I thought was very, was very important and that it was very detrimental because, you know, the fantasy is for every gambler that they're going to win it back and they're going to win it big. And, you know, spoiler, of course, I've just given away in the movie, is that they do. And for anybody who's struggling with a gambling problem who's watching this movie, my concern is it would be a trigger for them. <laughs> for them, it would happen for me. Um, because it, it can, because that adrenaline of watching somebody else um, gamble. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's, it can yeah. get your, you know, it's just like somebody who's recovering from drinking can't be around bars. Right, right. 
Oh, I, I, I love gambling. I hate anybody that knows me knows that there's nothing I like better than a casino with the bells and the whistles and the lights. And, you know, I, I can't even, and that's what it is. It's like it, a football game. It's gotta be the, it's the adrenaline. It's the charge of it. It's the knowing that, it, you know, it, it's bad. It's bad. So I thought it was very interesting that the doctor was really complacent and complicit in this whole thing. Complicit. Absolutely. Bradley Cooper should not have been released to his, fa his family. He should but to get his own apartment. It was the worst place for him to go. Maybe he should have gotten an apartment <clears throat> with Carrie Fisher's character from a postcard <laughs> gone into recovery together, and that would have been a better. Well, now, Jennifer Lawrence's character did have a separate place, right. you know, even though I don't know if she needed it as much. You know, we didn't really get she much had different about her issues. parents. Yeah, she had different issues. But right. she at least had some place where she was by herself and she could just get away from it all. And that's what she was using the dancing and the music for. You could see her just sitting in that corner with those headphones on, just like, I, you know, I, I just got to get away from whatever is going on here. So, okay, so that is my number two movie, Silver Lining Playbooks, 2012, telling Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, and it is a Best Actress win for Miss Lawrence, uh, directed by David O. Russell. Um, and so, here we go with our number one films, You've got your best, I've got my best. What do you got for me, Donna? Go ahead, lay it well, on Well, I've got Prince of Tides, an oldie but a goodie, both in a book and a movie. Boom, that's a good one. It is a good one. And I have to say that there are a number of reasons I picked this book, um, this movie and this book. Uh, the, as a beginning therapist, um, this book was given to me by a number of clients who came in with a secret, like we've talked about through all of these movies, but found it too hard to talk about. And then they read Pat Conroy's book and suddenly they could give voice to the problem. And while they couldn't say it out loud, they would bring me the book and say, please read this. And um, it gave so many people, this was a book that just gave so many people an opportunity to begin to talk about abuse in their own life. Uh, that was, it was absolutely amazing. Um, and so I, you know, it's always been a favorite of mine because of that, because it opened up people. Um, in terms of the movie, I have a history with the movie also. A couple of years later, I did a, a workshop for clinicians on boundaries and ethics and used clips from this movie on how not to behave in therapy. Okay. You should not sleep with your patient's brother. So, um, no, and I think most people know the plot about that. So that's, that's not a, uh, that's not a spoiler. But this stars the terrific Barbara Streisand, and she also directed it, um, and Nick Nolte. She plays Dr. Lowenstein, the New York psychiatrist, and he is Tom Wingo from the Wingo family down from South Carolina. And basically how they meet is Dr. Lowenstein is treating Tom's sister, Savannah, who's had a suicide attempt. Both Barbara Streisand's character and Nick Nolte's character are married, and their marriages are at crossroads, let's say, which leaves them vulnerable to each other. Um, I thought the, there was so much about this just visually, you know, if you haven't read Pat Conroy and you look at the, the visions of this movie, it'll make you want to pick up a Pat Conroy book. Absolutely. He, he, he writes about the South, that part of the South in a way that, you know, I hadn't been down there before I read the books. And then I went down there and I thought, oh my God, he, he just nailed this. Um, so you know, now it's 30 years later since I first got, this, got the book, you know, and then taught it. And so I just watched it as a movie and I found I cried. I just thought it was such a touching and painful 
movie that stands the test of time and forgetting the fact that they slept together, which is not a great thing to do. And I'm not excusing it by saying it. Um, there are so many things in this about, about humanity and about flaws and about building relationships. And even the subplot of Tom's relationship with the therapist's uh, son, Bernard, is incredibly touching. Um, I think, you know, there's just so much to say about this book. I'd, I'd just like to say that I think the, the most powerful therapeutic takeaways in this, my takeaway on this, mm -hmm. is um, that we are only as sick as our secrets. Um, and that's something that comes from Al-Anon, um, which is for people who uh, love, are, are involved with people who have addiction problems, that our, that our secrets is what adds to our sickness. And once Tom is able to talk about the secret, and then the therapist is able to talk to the sister, Savannah, about it, we see the healing of both of these characters. Yes. Back to their own. They can be authentic now. And the things that they were told to keep a secret were the things that just were really destroying them. And, and in most of my movies, with the exception of Bob, I think, and, and Hope Springs, and in some of your movies as well, there are secrets. Yeah. And I think that's probably the thing that brings, drives a lot of people into therapy, um, is that ultimately there's something underneath that they're so ashamed of that is, is causing them to act in ways to compensate in their lives that in a way that's not healthy. And in this case, they were told, you know, in, in the cases of, of Perks being a wallflower, the secret was self-contained. But in this one, the mother made them keep the secret. So they've got this other pressure on them. Their mom is telling me not to tell. Wow. Right. Yeah. And they were all told to children not to tell. Not to tell. And what they experienced and witnessed. I mean, I've seen it before in the movie and I've read the book a number of times. Again, watching is just, is just really a traumatic and awful thing for a mother to have children keep as a secret. And so, um, again, this book has such beautiful quotes, and it's the writing of Pat Conroy. And so here's Tom Wingo narrating, and one of the quotes is, I don't, know, I don't know when my parents began their war against each other, but I do know the only prisoners they took were their children. Ouch. And then the second quote is, from my mother... I inherited a love of language and an appreciation of nature. She could turn a walk around the island into a voyage of purest discovery. As a child, I thought she was the most extraordinary woman on the earth. I wasn't the first son to be wrong about his mother. Oh, that says it all right there. I tell you, if you have not read this book, I would. I would do both. See the movie and read the book. You, and it doesn't matter which order you do it in. They're both powerful, powerful pieces of art, both of them. And Pat Conroy is a fantastic writer. Also, you know, wrote The Great Santini, which was also made into a movie with Robert Duvall. So I loved this movie myself, and I did also read the book, uh, which is why I'm saying you can do both. And it is something that was nominated for seven Oscars. Barbara Streisand just knocked it out of the park. This was a huge movie, huge, huge movie in 1991 which is also the same year of our movie with um, What About Bob? Bob. And we also have, uh, you know, Postcard from the Edge coming right before that. So um, Prince of Tides was another movie that I would recommend people to see because it shows you what a great actor Nick Nolte was mm -hmm. or is. Um, he, he was phenomenal in this movie, and I think people forget what a fantastic actor he is. And, you know, I think this was probably the greatest part he had since uh, Rich Man, Poor Man, which even though it was a TV drama, it absolutely, I, 
it, it made Nick Nolte a star. That made him a star. And this one, he is phenomenal. And so I, I love this one because it shows Nick before, you know, um, people thought he was like a joke and making fun of him. So I, I please see this movie because Nick Nolte is a fantastic actor and he deserved to be in this part and earn every accolade that he got for it. Um, so one of the things about this movie that, like you said, I, I really appreciated the sense of place that was going on in this film. Like you said, Pat Conroy, it, it, you know, you really wanted to go to South Carolina and see this, this area. And, and I think it had a lot to do with what was going on, that remoteness of it and, and where it was. It was part of the whole thing. So it's a beautiful film, crazy book, definitely number one, seven nominations, uh, female director. And another thing that we talked about earlier, this is one of the two movies that we listed that had a female therapist. And, you know, I think we're not getting great depictions of female therapists from male writers. You know? So we're going to have to look into that. We might have to look at some other movies here because our female therapists are always sleeping with their patients or something. <laughs> what is going on? In Stop Perks it. Of, well, in Perks of the Wallflower, uh, Joan Cusick's character, we don't know that. At the That's end. right. Okay, we did but have she Joan Cusick. All right, pretty good. That's right. And we had CC Pounder. CC Pounder. We had two others. Okay. Right. All right. Okay. Pull it back from the edge. Okay, Sabrina, don't don't go down there. That wasn't true. <laughs> All right, so now my number one, and we're going to finish up with this one, is, of course, from the Boston Boys, or really the Cambridge Boys, Goodwill Hunting from 1997, starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and in an, an incredible performance by Robin Williams. This is Robin's uh, Oscar-winning Best Supporting. This movie was nominated for nine Academy Awards. The boys wrote this. The first screenplay, cannot believe it, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I remember when they won the Oscar and how they jumped up and down. But the movie is about a young man who is working as a janitor in MIT. And as he's cleaning up one of these math rooms, he sees an equation and he finishes it. And people are freaking out and they want to know who did it, what's going on, what's happening. So we find out that he is a savant and he's just as you know, brilliant person, but he's also from the wrong sides of the so-called tracks in Boston. And he's a, you know, he's a, he's a, you know, Dorchester kid, or I think a Southie, I can't remember which town he's from or Charlestown. He's, but he's, you know, don't know what his family's life is. He's getting into all kinds of trouble. He's hanging out with the wrong kids. He's got his little crew and they are just doing all kinds of stuff and beating up people. He too has anger issues. And eventually it lands him in juvie or representative somewhat like that. And luckily, again, just as in the movie we talked about earlier, Antoine Fisher, we have a system that thankfully pulled him out and got him some help rather than just throwing him behind bars as they could easily have done in which they uh, seem to do a lot sometimes. But in this case, Matt Damon gets some help and he goes through a series of psychotherapists, which is another reason why I picked this film, because I thought it was very interesting that it pointed out that, you know, you can go and see various therapists until you find the one that you think you're going to mesh with the best. And I think it's, we saw it clearest in this film where, you know, you know, everybody else sort of had their therapist and that was it, you know, boom, boom, you're talking to this person, you're talking to that person. And it may have taken him a while or not to, to open up. But but Matt Damon's character, Will Hunting, he goes through a search and he finally, you know, you know, finally lands on uh, Robin Williams' 
doctor as his therapist. And then we have, how long is it gonna take him to realize that he's got to do the work? So we have a few things going on here with um, finding the right therapist, with being willing to open up and do the work. We have secrets again. We have you know childhood trauma. We have uh, alcohol dependencies. We, we have it all in this one too. And uh, they go through quite a bit. And, and we also have that dynamic of the patient helping the therapist, like we had with Denzel and Antoine Fisher, and we see it again here with, with Matt Damon and Robin Williams' character, where they both come out of this whole um, thing, better people and more able to deal. They both move on from there where they were stuck. So what do you think of my pick, Donna? Sorry, my, my number one, come up with a good one. Did I come up with a good I, one? I think, I think it's a great movie. I, I have no qualms about it. Um, both in Antoine Fisher and Goodwill Hunting, they are both um, in, in Goodwill Hunting. It's not so much the system that gets him into it; it's this professor who sees um, who sees the genius in this boy, and so bails him out of bails him out with the caveat that he goes to therapy. Yeah, good point. If he hadn't been if he hadn't been a smart kid, if right. he had just been he a poor little, he would system. have been he would have right. been in the system. Yeah, but but he would yeah he would have ended up in the system. So. Um, you know, it's, you know, there's that special thing again that gets him out. Um, but, you know, this uh, professor really sees something in him. And it's interesting how the professor and the psychotherapist have a history. And both of them see a different future for this boy. I mean, that's a subplot of this also. And sort of pulling it at the soul of this young man. Um, but the resistance is very interesting. I think Matt, um, Matt Damon's resistance, just like in Antoine Fisher, you see that the resistance to trusting, the resistance, they've been hurt. Um, and eventually they both find something and they challenge, they challenge the therapist and they test the therapist, particularly he tests Robin Williams. Oh yeah. Over and over again to just make sure he's going to stay. He tries to push him away. And, um, and then when he realizes, and, and, and both of those movies, by the way, Antoine Fisher and Good Girl Hunting also have a female love interest for both of their, their right. In it, which I thought was very interesting too. They, they have that carrot at the end of the stick that they can get better and you can get this girl. Right. I mean, right. So, you know, I thought that was, there were a number of parallels between the two movies that I thought was good. I thought it was, again, you know, ca these, the casting of these comedians um, as therapists and then watching the performances they turn in is just really kind of fascinating to me. Whether, you know, whether it's Steve Carell. Mm -hmm. Robin Williams, I mean, there's just, it, it's extraordinary that the work that they have done with this. Um, I love the movie. I mean, there's, there's not, a, not a whole lot of bad you can say about it. And, and Robin Williams is such a loss to us. He just shines in this movie. Oh, uh, you know, really, really, every time I see this movie since his death, I, I just feel so badly. Um, but you mentioned at the beginning of this episode that you are now doing um, teletherapy. So please know that we will have some resources in the comments for this show of places that you can go. Donna, can you talk a little bit more about a couple of things that you want to post for the people? Yeah, we're, we're going to list, um, put out a list of resources on how to find a good therapist, um, you know, as well as things that um, are, are free that you can reach out to. Al-Anon meetings, if somebody is struggling with a family member who has addiction of any kind, Al-Anon meetings are anonymous, they're online, they, they're Zoom meetings, you don't even have to see somebody's face. 
There are AA meetings. There are everything that you can possibly mention is online. And, and I think what I have seen is many more people who were resistant to doing either 12-step programs or other kinds of therapy are now taking advantage of it because the excuse is, you know, I'm too tired when I get home from work. Um, I don't know how to get there. I don't have a car to get there, whatever. Those, everything is available online. You don't have to leave your home anymore. And people are finding great comfort in being able to access um, so, so many different resources. Everything that was available at, in the outside world is now available right in your living room. Yeah, that would have been great for Bob at the beginning. He wouldn't have had to take all those baby steps to get in that elevator and get down to the doctor's office. So, but then who know. knows if he would ever gotten that. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, right. So thanks, everybody. That's our show. And we will see you on our next 5 by 5 with Serena, Cinnamon Cinephile. Good night.